Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 44, please. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 44, verses 1 through 30. If you're uh, following along on your phone or tablet, just uh, mute it so I don't have to make fun of you when it makes noise. It's a rule, it's a Calvary Chapel rule that you have to, you have to point out distractions and make people feel awful about themselves <laughs> for ruining the word of God being taught to other people. The topic we're going to find this morning, Jeremiah describes the hard-heartedness of the Jews who have fled to Egypt, and so the title of our message is, A Good Day to Die to Hard-Heartedness. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the sweet worship and the time that we had to come before your throne, as it were, at least in our hearts, to know, Lord, that we are loved, that we stand justified in your righteousness cleansed, Lord, and forgiven, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, as it were, on our way to heaven, to that place that you promised you are preparing for us and that you will receive us into one day, I want to say very soon, but it could be any moment. And I pray, Lord, we would live with that anticipation, uh, not as a warning or a, a, not in fear, Lord, but with the, the thrill of knowing that we're going to see you any moment. Thank you, Lord is right. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Diamonds might still be a girl's best friend, but they are no longer the hardest material on earth. There are at least three things that are harder than diamonds. Number three on the list is called Lonsdalite. It's formed when meteorites containing graphite strike the earth, so it's pretty rare. The purest form of it is more than 50% harder than diamond. Number two on the list is Wurtzite boron nitride. It is also, I'm not making it up. It is also <laughs> extremely rare because I, it's funny, I can't never hear my wife, but I heard you. <laughs> it's extremely rare <laughs> because it's only produced during volcanic eruptions. What do you think is number one, numero uno, the hardest material on earth? Now, while you're thinking, and before you answer, factor in that this is a Bible study, and we're thinking of something spiritual, not mineral. I'm trying to kind of trick you a little bit. The answer to the question is something God says in his word is extremely hard. Number one on the list, the hardest thing on earth, it's got to be the human heart. One such reference to its hardness is found in Ephesians 4.18, describing non-believers the Apostle Paul writes and he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, of course, we're not talking about the heart beating in your chest, that wonderful pump that might beat three billion times over the course of a normal lifetime. The Bible uses the heart to describe the whole person in all of your distinct activities as a thinking, feeling, worshiping, Facebooking being. Heart means your total response to the world around you with special regard to your relationship with God. One reason I say that it is so hard is that hardness of heart can do a great deal of damage. 
Consider the Pharaoh of Egypt who defied God as Moses sought to deliver the Israelites out of their slavery. Fifteen times in the book of Exodus we're told that Pharaoh hardened his heart. He was so hard that he was willing to keep an entire people enslaved. If that's not hard enough, he subjected his people to the 10 plagues. Harder still, he sent his own army in their chariots to their watery graves as the Red Sea engulfed them, chasing the Israelites. Hardest of all, it cost him his own firstborn son as the death angel came on the night of Passover and he refused to prepare for it. Now, our text in Jeremiah is going to show a people with hard hearts harden them all the more. It's a good place for us to search our own hearts for hardness and for hardening, which we'll see are two separate things. I'm going to organize my thoughts around those two points. Number one, the hardness of your heart can be penetrated by God. Number two, the hardening of your heart can be prevented by you. First of all, let's look at God in his attempts to penetrate the hardness of your heart. Now, the Bible does seem to differentiate between the hardness of the human heart in general and the hardening of a human heart in particular. We are all born with the general condition of hardness of heart. Uh, Paul said as much in that passage that we read from Ephesians, and there are many other references to the natural hardness of heart. God, by grace, seeks to penetrate every human heart and bring salvation. Theologians argue whether that grace is resistible, as I believe, or irresistible, but all agree that the human heart is impossibly hard until the operation of grace works upon it to penetrate it and to begin drawing the person to God. What about hardening of the heart? How is that different? Whereas you inherit hardness of heart, you choose whether or not to harden your heart further. Allow me to quote from an article in Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. The writer, he says, the heart is hard, but not necessarily hardened. Hardening of the heart goes beyond the tragedy of our inherited condition. Working upon the fertile ground of our innately hard hearts, sin may harden them further. People may harden their own hearts in sinful rebellion, in bitterness over circumstances, or in sheer self-will. Examples help, and we have a great one in this text. It's an example of the hardness of the human heart, and then it's further hardening. In the first part of this chapter, God is seeking to penetrate the hardness of the hearts of the Jews who had disobediently fled to Egypt. In the second half, we'll see them harden their hearts all the more. Just to bring you up to speed, we are post-fall of Jerusalem now in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had been prophesying for nearly four decades that the Babylonian army was going to come, destroy Jerusalem, and burn the temple. That has occurred. Uh, Many have been taken captive uh, and are in exile in Babylon. There are a few people left in the land of Judah. Jeremiah happens to be with people who fled to Egypt disobediently. God never wanted them to flee to Egypt. Uh, You'll see why in a minute. Jeremiah didn't do it on his own. He was taken there against his will. He is now ministering God's word to the hard-hearted, rebellious, disobedient folk that are in Egypt. And we begin in verse one where he says, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal, at Taphanes, at Noph, in the country of Pethro, saying, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and on all the cities of Judah, and behold, this day they are a desolation. No one dwells in them because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know, they nor you nor your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But they do not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. They are wasted and desolate as it is this day. God's people were guilty of sin, wicked, abominable, habitual sin. You remember our studies previously? They set up idols right in the temple where they were worshiping God. They participated in grossly immoral sexual acts, ritually worshiping the false gods of the uh, pagans. And then they murdered their own infant children in child sacrifices. God patiently and graciously sent, he says, all his servants, the prophets, but God's people refused to listen or to incline their ear. God mounted a decades-long campaign to penetrate the hardness of their hearts. I mean, think of the terrible things they were doing. And God, day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, kept sending Jeremiah and others to them to seek to break through and to bring them to repentance. That's the point we want to derive from these verses. God goes to great lengths in order to penetrate the hardness of the human heart. You know, you read these verses, maybe you're doing a a through the Bible reading and you're reading and you think, man, that's rough. Man, God says, I'm gonna wipe you out, I'm gonna destroy you, I'm gonna burn you, your city is gone, all this stuff. And you think, man, you know, that's how God gets this terrible reputation, the God of the Old Testament. He's really cranky and just wants to crush people all the time. And you forget that he's been working with his children whom he loves to discipline them for four decades. And in a minute, even after all of this, they're gonna say, yeah, we're not gonna listen to you at all, ever. And, and you know, think uh, uh, how that's gonna happen and how that's gonna go over. And so God is reaching out to them and he keeps ramping up the discipline to try to get through to them for their own good. Verse seven, now therefore thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, child and infant out of Judah, leaving none to remain, in that you provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you've gone to dwell, that you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness, and the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. One reason the Jews fled to Egypt was so they could continue in their sin. They didn't want to stay in Judah and walk with the Lord. They said, hey, where can we go so that we can continue to worship idols? How about Egypt? They had learned absolutely nothing from God's discipline. If that's not hardness of heart, I don't know what is. Verse 11, 
Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe and for cutting off all Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. They shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine, and they shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by by famine and by pestilence so that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those who escape. I like that if you catch that at the end. I mean, you're hearing all of this doom and gloom and then he says, nobody's gonna survive here. I'm gonna kill you all. Sword, pestilence, famine, unless you escape and go back to Judah. I mean, what a tender heart God has for these people. You and I wouldn't put up with these people for five minutes. And he'd been putting up with them for 40 years. And this is a warning. It's still a warning. It's not a final judgment. God's still seeking to penetrate their hardness of heart. He's just saying, I'm gonna have to use stronger and stronger instruments. I'm going to have to use wurzite, iodine, borite, or whatever that stuff is, you know, because the diamond isn't making it. Warnings are good, aren't they? Aren't, aren't warnings good? If you're traveling and you see a sign that says, bridge out, do you put the pedal to the metal thinking Caltrans is just trying to freak you out? <laughs> Anybody work for Caltrans here? All right. I know what we think of Caltrans. It takes 17 guys to put out a cone, you know. I mean, I, I know. And I'm, I'm a California driver. I know if you want to stop Californians, you have to put up concrete barricades. Anything else, you're just going to go around it, right? I mean, unless there's a highway patrolman with his gun drawn, you, and you can get around the barricade, you're going through that. I've done that many times in my life, and not always to my benefit, but... Uh, you know, uh, that's just the way it is. But generally speaking, warnings are a good thing when there's real danger. And that's what the Lord is saying is you guys don't understand the danger you're in. Egypt will consume you. You'll be lost eternally, as it were. You need to get back to walking with me. It wasn't just that God was offended by their sin. A lot of times people think God is some kind of prude. He's a cosmic killjoy. He wants to keep you from having any real fun. The truth is, God knows you are ultimately a spiritual being who was created to be in a relationship with him. If your heart remains hard, you will never be whole. You will never be the person that not only God intends you to be, but that you desire to be in your heart of hearts. Sin might be pleasurable for a season, but you will be left empty, and in the long run, it always destroys The Jews literally could not survive in Egypt. And so God said, I'm gonna step in and make it so that at least a remnant of you escape. Egypt was a spiritual death camp for them. It was in their best interest that God intervene. Speaking to non-believers, Charles Finney said this, how astonishing is the long-suffering of God. How many ways have you hardened your hearts against him? How many times have you betaken yourselves to the most absurd, unreasonable, provoking reasons for girding yourself and resisting the claims of God? And God's forbearance is still lengthened out, even his long-suffering. 
Will it not suffice you thus far to have resisted the mercy and compassion of God? I beseech you now let the controversy cease. Lay down your weapons. Accept God's claims. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. Lay down your sins and accept the offer of eternal life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, hear these words of Finney based on the compassion and the heart of God. Quit your controversy with God. Lay down your arms and receive him as your savior. The real question, though, for most of us gathered here this day is, as a Christian, can I still have hardness of heart? And sadly, the answer is yes. In Mark 6.52 and 8.17, Jesus described his disciples as having hearts that were hardened. After his resurrection from the dead, Jesus had to point out their hardness of heart again. In Mark 16.14, we read, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Three times in the book of Hebrews, we are told, harden not your heart, in Hebrews 3.8, 3.15, and 4.7. In two of those passages, at least, you read, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. And so Christians can have hardness of heart. We must therefore allow his word to penetrate our hearts and ask, is your heart still hardened? It's usually not either or. This is where we have a problem. This is where the difficulty comes in because we think in black and white either or terms. And so I come to church or I I read the Bible for myself. I hear a Bible study and I think, well, my heart's not hardened. I'm a Christian. I know the Lord. I love the Lord. I'm in love with him. I'm serving him here. I'm doing this. I'm doing these five things. And and so maybe something will start to prick our hearts or the Lord will start to direct our attention in in a, a, a small or even a large area of our life and we don't really pay attention to it because we've already decided that it doesn't affect us because I don't have a hard heart. And I think we need to be open to the possibility that even though we have a soft, tender heart towards God in most areas, there can be areas in which we still might be hard-hearted. Maybe it's towards a particular person or a particular situation. Maybe we have a certain prejudice. Maybe we are holding on to a bitterness or a grief. I I know people, they're still walking with the Lord, I mean, in in the sense that they're Christians, but some tragedy has befallen them in their life and they've turned really away from God. They're mad at God, They're, they're angry with God. They have a hard heart towards God because he took their loved one from them or did something like that and they blame God. And so it's perfectly reasonable to think that Christians, you and I, myself included, we still have hardness of heart or are capable of it. And so we need just to let the Lord show us for our own good because we can't survive a spiritual Egypt. We can't hold on to something like that. Why would you want to anyway? Uh, But we can't. And and so, you know, there's no steps involved. Everybody says, well, how do I do that? There's a realization involved. I've come to the understanding in, in my Christian walk that so often the word of God just wants me to realize something is or can be true of myself so that the Lord can minister to me about it. And so the point that we're making here this morning is that even Christians can have hardness of heart. And realizing that, knowing that, coming to the Lord, allowing him to search my heart because only he can do it, but he promises he will. In Hebrews, he says, I will divide between the soul and the spirit. God can get right down in there where nothing else and no one else can see. 
And he can, he can bring that out and say, hey, this is a prejudice you didn't know you had and it's interfering in your walk with me because it's not something that my son Jesus Christ has and those kinds of things. And so just allow the Lord to search your heart. Now the remaining verses, the hardening of your heart can be prevented by you. The Jews in Egypt were warned and it was a genuine warning. By that I mean they could act upon God's word. They could let it soften their heart or they could harden their own hearts even further. Knowing their history, what do you think they did? Well, let's see. Verse 15. Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods with all the women who stood by a great multitude and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathros answered Jeremiah saying, as for the word you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. Wow, I added that. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food. We were well off and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we've lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. The women also said, And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? Now, if I'm reading all this correctly, Jeremiah confronted the people as they were busy celebrating a feast to the moon goddess who is here called the queen of heaven. He talked to them red-handed, as it were. I mean, they were right in the middle of idolatry and he came with this word from the Lord. By the way, footnote, there is no queen of heaven. Just in case anybody ever refers to anyone as the queen of heaven, there's no such person. The queen of heaven here is the moon goddess. And so I, I I just stay away from that stuff. These people had already heard the words of verses one through 14. Sometime earlier, Jeremiah had delivered the word of the Lord to them. This was their decision. We're gonna go on even deeper into idolatry. They said, we're not gonna listen to you. In fact, we think we're better off worshiping the queen of heaven. That's where we're going to be prosperous. Look what God did. He burned our city to the ground. They hardened their already hard hearts. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the people, verse 20, the men, the women, all the people who had given him an answer saying, The incense that you burned in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them and did it not come into his mind? So the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed. Therefore, your land is a desolation. It's an astonishment. It's a curse and without an inhabitant as it is this day because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in his law in his statutes or in his testimonies. Therefore, this calamity has happened to you as it is this day. Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people and to all the women, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, you and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, we will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows." I just want to keep pointing out that the Jews were making a conscious choice. God was graciously warning them, seeking repentance. They continued to harden 
their hearts. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, the Lord God lives. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. Yet a small number who escaped the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, and all the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. And this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. And so God said, we're getting near the end of this. Terrible things are going to be in store for those of you who continue to reject me in Egypt. But he mentions a tiny remnant. There were going to be a tiny remnant that would escape. And, and that's, God still, I mean, you and I, just kill them all. Get rid of them all. Start over again. But God's still reaching out to his people. Now, we've learned that there's undoubtedly still hardness in our hearts. Even as believers indwelt by God the Holy Spirit, we can remain hard to certain things or in certain areas. God, I believe, and you do too, is gracious to reveal those things to us. He's gracious to penetrate our hardness of heart for our own good. For our part, all we need to do is admit that we tend towards hardness and hardening and allow God to do what David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Think of it this way. If your physician diagnosed you with blocked arteries and he recommended some type of surgery, you'd probably agree because you desire to live and to have a better quality of life. Before you go under the knife, however, you have to sign a waiver giving him permission to do that heart surgery. Otherwise, he's not going to do anything. He's powerless to intervene. It's a little like that with God. It's not a great illustration, but I think you can understand. God, the great physician, his word providing a diagnosis, but we won't hear it if we're not allowing him to examine us and we may not receive it even after he does. We tend to hear God, but then seek a second opinion, usually our own. So God sometimes reveals something to us and then we're quick to get away from it and say, well, that's, you know, I'm, I'm really doing pretty well in most areas of my life. This, this is just a little prejudice. It's just a tiny bitterness. No one likes that person. So I'm no different than everybody else. I can hang with that. It's not going to affect the rest of my heart. That's like saying you're fine with one blocked artery. That one artery that's blocked 100%, no big, I got three left. Who needs that one? What goes on in your left ventricle anyway? Man, you can't with somebody, you know, the doctor tells you you have heart trouble. How many people, some of you, you go in for the, what's happening? Angiogram, heart surgery, three minutes later. I mean, you know, you can't wait to get, please, I don't want to die and I want a quality of life. I don't want to be, you know, a cardiac cripple and not able to breathe or anything like that. Please take care of me. Come to church, come to the word of God, hear the Bible taught. God says, that's you. You're prejudiced. You're bitter. 
you're not forgiving. Forget that, Lord, I'm doing great. But spiritually, you're sucking air. You don't know what's going on. And then you get to prayer and you think, oh, Lord, what's wrong? I, you know, my ministry and this isn't happening and that's not happening. I don't see any answer to prayer. And God says, well, I'm still talking to you about this little thing that you think is little because, you know, let's deal with that. It's bad for you. It'll kill you. And so let's deal with that. It's better to be compliant. Sign off every time Jesus reveals something to us. Wave your will. Let his will prevail. Father, thanks for these things. We appreciate Jeremiah, Lord. What a life, what a tough life. Now he's in Egypt. He doesn't want to be there. He's been brought there against his will. He's got to go to these crazy festivals to the queen of heaven to rebuke your people who hate you. But Lord, we look at it centuries later and we see the love of God in Christ Jesus reaching and reaching and yearning and wooing, trying to penetrate the hardness of the human heart trying, Lord, to reveal the love of God through Jesus Christ. I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would have soft and pliable hearts in every possible area, in every thought, in every relationship. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.